Welcome back. It's News Talks on the Record with me, Gavin Riley, filling in for Kieran today. Now, uh, Frank de Groot was a Dubliner, but his name, uh, aside from not being a terribly common one around here, is not terribly well known either. Uh, he is better remembered in Australia, where in front of an audience of an estimated 300,000 people, he was responsible for unofficially declaring the Sydney Harbour Bridge open riding in on horseback to upstage the authorities. But he was a Dubliner. He was a Black Rock and a Belvedere College boy. He only moved to Australia as a young man. He even flirted with the far right, eventually grabbing international headlines. But how did a dub on a horse come to open the Sydney Harbour Bridge? That sounds like a question for Donald Fallon with another edition of Hidden History. This afternoon, Donald. How are you? Um, De Groot is remembered in Australia as a character or a chancer, but there is a bit more to this story, yeah, isn't there? Yeah, and I, I suppose, I mean, if, if you go down to, um, to, to Epic Ireland, down in the Docklands of Dublin, they'll tell you all about the Irish diaspora and our contribution to Australia mm. and this man is not a part of that story you know because this story is uh, I suppose it's a, bit, it's a bit of an odd one and it's quite a funny one in some ways this man lived and died in Dublin but his story is somewhat mad I mean he was not a celebrated member of the Irish diaspora much the opposite and today we're talking about a man who in 1932 opened the magnificent and it is still magnificent Sydney Harbour Bridge on horseback without sanction or permission from anyone mm. uh, a chancer of some kind you know to, who upstaged the authorities but digging deeper it, it, there's more than that going on here this story is actually quite deep and it's entangled in the very ugly politics uh, of, of the 1930s it, which before we get into then we should explain a little bit about his background and even the surname it's, it's, it's not, what, not your, your typically Irish surname Wonderful! What a wonderful uh, surname. Yeah, descended of kind of Huguenot Protestants, as French Protestant refugees uh, who arrived in Ireland in the in the, the 17th and 18th centuries. He was born 1888 in Dublin, and a very kind of bourgeois background. You know, son of a sculptor, uh, deeply embedded the family, deeply embedded in in the world of art and antique dealing as well. I mean, he went to Black Rock College and Belvedere. I mean, these places are still kind of synonymous with privilege. Mm. Joined the British Merchant Navy as a young as a young man, and his life took this amazing turn. You know, a veteran of World War One, he emigrates to. Australia and, and De Groot establishes himself there in the antiques trade. But, you know, by the 1930s, this kind of young Dubliner was flirting with pretty unsavoury political ideas, which ultimately led him to carrying out this mad stunt that we're going to get around. And of course, this being the 1930s, Australia, like many parts of the world, was beginning to get very deeply politically divided as well, wasn't it? The entire world was up for grabs, you know, in in the 1930s. And depending how you felt about the world, the Mm. left or the right, I mean, Italy, France, Spain, Germany, and I mean, to a lesser extent, Australia as well. They're all battlegrounds of kind of major political ideas and ideologies. And global political developments, you know, the Great Depression and the like it just shaken the world to its very foundations. So by February 1931, Australia had its, its fascist movement. They were called the New Guard. They were quite quasi-fascist, a bit like Ono Duffy's blue shirts in Ireland. And they believed that the world was turning communistic. I mean, they looked at Spain, they looked at Mexico, and they were terrified mm. of what was happening. And they thought that Australia could be lost. And for them, you know, there were potential enemies everywhere. But the, the, the boogeyman was a guy called John Thomas Lang, or Jack Lang, an amazing part of the Irish diaspora. He was known as the big fella. Uh, after <laughs> after familiar, a, a, a certain Corkonian, yeah, it yeah. sounds familiar. He was the son of Irish immigrants, deeply involved in progressive politics, Premier of New South Wales. And I mean, Lang championed things like universal suffrage and reform, which wasn't always popular with, with everybody. And he alarmed the far right who were convinced he was a communist. Now, he wasn't a communist. He made it very clear he wasn't, even if some wanted him to be. And one slogan that was popular among the left was, Lang is greater than Lenin, which is an extraordinary oh. claim. And to the far right, I think this guy, you know, he was a nightmare. He had immigrant yeah. blood. He had a liberal message. He had 
progressive values and he had to be stopped I'm, so for I'm, the new guard he was public enemy number one I suddenly reminded that if, if Jack Lang was a second generation Irishman you know that old Tommy Tiernan line of how you can go to any war in the world and there'd be like <laughs> one guy from Longford and one guy from Westmeath and the opposite sides that down there in the, the battle for the heart and soul of Australia you have two Irishmen um, but anyway as a result of, of Lang uh, being around that is where the new guard were born yeah I mean they were essentially as all fascist movements were a well dressed you know, street politics movement they thought that <laughs> politics played out on the streets you know smashing rallies of your political opponents mm. and in some ways you know they were as I mentioned they were an end product of the Great Depression you know men across the world were on the scrap heap economically increasingly angry and they boasted of their desire to quote smash up communist and other reptile meetings yeah. and to their credit they were quite good at it and they believed in the idea that Australia was always would be British that the empire was something to be celebrated not scorned and this guy Lang they regarded him as an enemy of an empire yeah, and, and that is then ultimately why the politics leads to this because Lang was the guy responsible for deciding to have the bridge in the first place yes yes Lang is the man who's to do the honours of opening the bridge and for the new guard that just cannot happen and I mean the opening of the bridge is a very significant story any any listeners familiar with Sydney will know it it's stunningly beautiful and Philip Lynch had a very beautiful piece in the, in, in the Irish Times earlier this year about the bridge and he just captures why it matters he says this bridge remains a remarkable engineering feat spanning 1,149 metres and boasting an arch span of 503 metres it remains the world's largest steel arch bridge affectionately dubbed the coat hanger by locals it's an imposing steel structure in the skyline built over six years by a UK firm it has an astonishing six million hand-driven rivets and it's held together by huge hinges specially designed to expand and contract under the ferocious heat of the Australian sun I love that it's a coat hanger that's coat hanger it's just it's a fantastic piece of engineering and you know when you look at it a bridge like that it's the triumph of modernity and kind of human achievement at a time when so many people were broke this was just a stunning piece of human engineering 15 lives were lost building it I mean it was a, it was a dangerous job and it stood as this monument to a better age that mm. you know we could come out of the Great Depression and when the honour of opening that bridge goes to Jack Long that causes considerable annoyance to people like our guy Frank the Groot and he wouldn't stand for it and so he planned a spectacle and so in he rides and we should stress <laughs> in case people have gotten the wrong idea because I know sometimes Sometimes people on horseback aren't entirely fully clad. He was fully clad, but nonetheless, oh, yeah. in rides, our hero he, on horseback. He, he was bedecked in military uniform. He was carrying his ceremonial sword. And the account of it, Andrew Moore's account of it, is great. He says, The Groot in, insinuated himself into the vice regal entourage, mounted on horseback at the crucial moment he slashed the opening ribbon with his sword, declared the bridge open in the name of the decent and respectable people of New South Wales, dragged from his horse by irate police. He was escorted to the nearby Darlinghurst Reception Centre, where he survived the suggestion that he was. Insane. Uh, I'd say that went down very well at the time with Jack Lang and indeed with others. But of course, then once you've you've set the precedent and you've like planted the seed in people uh, and you've shown this is a thing that you can do, no <laughs> doubt he's been copied time and time again. It became since. something of a joke in Australia. You couldn't open a bridge, you couldn't open a motorway or anything without some Egypt showing up, you know, on horseback and proclaiming themselves to be the mayor or whatever it might be. But he sued the police. Uh, he claimed that his arrest was unlawful, and he actually got a ceremonial sword back, which was quite amazing. <laughs> and you know, the spectacle of this Irish man uniformed and on horseback, it stole the the, the, the tunnel totally mm. from poor old Lang and it became this kind of this this meme if you will uh, of, Aust- of Australian society so pranksters doing a De Groot became a kind of a frequent part of the opening of any bridge uh, in New South Wales for years to come afterwards uh, and zooming out from the obvious Dublin Cork enmity between De Groot <laughs> and Jack Lang uh, what ultimately then became of the new guard they once made, he got his sword back they never made serious political inroads so, some, like, something like the blue shirts in Ireland I mean their, 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 their bark was worse than their bite you know and their language got uglier against the backdrop as fascism took hold uh, one 
one of their leaders proclaimed that the new guard is the vanguard of a crusade for moral regeneration. We will bridge all classes of work for a common goal and prove that the British race does not deteriorate under southern skies. Inspired by the example of Italy, we'll create in Australia a new spirit of the people. And to be honest, I mean, the Australians are a little bit like us. That was never going to fly there. Mm. They're, they're, they're rather moderate in their political beliefs. So by 1935, they were, they were a spent force, really. And I think it's interesting that when the Spanish Civil War broke out in 36, only 66 Australian men and women were directly involved in that conflict. I mean, the numbers from Ireland were much higher than that, yeah. probably over a thousand on both sides. So uh, very, very small numbers. Uh, and de Groot did make it home, but didn't really talk much about what yeah, he got he, up to he, down He under. arrived back in, in 1950 and he seems to have lived out his days quietly. He died in a, a nursing home in the late 60s. And brilliantly, in 2014, the sword was found uh, on a farm in Wicklow in the possession uh, of his nephew. Uh, some arguing that it should be on display over there at the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Uh, but presumably the sword is banned from attending any motorway or bridge openings in this uh, country and I, Australia. I wonder then if, if, uh, if Shane Ross, the Minister for Transport, is listening. Just be sure that it, the next time if you're opening some motorway extension and you see a guy on horseback with full <laughs> military uniform, uh, you know what to expect. Uh, Donald, thank you very much. That is great stuff as always. My thanks to Donald Fallon, who is the author of the Come Here To Me blog and book volume two uh, that is it for me filling in for Kieran Cuddy today Off the Ball is up next here on News Talk my thanks to the production team uh, Roisin Davis and Stephen Jordan who have made it so effortless as always for me Peter Malloy was on sound today uh, just before we go you may have seen this week that Tom Dunn uh, won't be on the radio tonight he is taking some time out to recover from surgery so we want to wish him a speedy recovery and we're going to leave you with one of the tracks from the gigs in Semple Stadium that Tom played a really huge part uh, in organising earlier this year this is from the Fela Classical album it was released the other day recordings from the likes of an emotional fish the stunning hothouse flowers the four of us Frank and Walters and of course from Something Happens so we'll leave you with a bin of the man himself enjoy the rest of your Sunday Take a and jump. You can't stay here forever When everyone else is gone And all I want seem that clever Take your parachute and go